So this is, this is God's design for the body, that we would uh, grow individually, and as we grow individually, we would uh, basically affect others around us, causing each other to grow in Christ, and the whole will benefit. The whole of the body of Christ will benefit. So let's take a quick look and, and recap uh, of the series that we've had so far. First, we started off with spiritual formation. That was kind of looking at the basics of our walk with Christ, our position in Christ. And that's obviously important because we need to know what God has done for us before we can do for Him and be effective in the world around us. And then following that, we looked at the Holy Spirit. And with the Holy Spirit is the work of sanctification. It's the power that the Spirit brings to our life because the Christian walk is not possible apart from the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And from there, we moved on to a biblical worldview, giving us perspective for life so that we would have a reference point as to, you know, to understand uh, things like morality, uh, right from wrong, things that are ethical, not ethical, and um, be able to navigate the issues of life. And then we went on from there into prophecy, so we gained a perspective for the last days, and Pastor Chris did an awesome job kind of focusing on, on what uh, is happening and how to understand it in light of the scriptures. And that brings us to tonight, which is engaging with the body. And I would say that this is uh, giving us a perspective for church life. And if you look at these from a, a different perspective, you know, the first two are kind of inward, right? Where we, we pause first to understand who we are, understand what is our relationship with the Lord. And then we moved on from there into what I would say is, is an outward focus, right? Where we're moving on now from uh, just looking at ourselves and our own experience individually as individuals within the church and looking at those around us and the events that are happening around us. And so tonight is going to take us into um, being others-centered and looking outward from ourself. And so this idea of the body of Christ, right, just in the title itself, for tonight, engaging with the body of Christ. This concept, I love this concept. You know, the Bible uh, talks about the church in a lot of different ways. We uh, learn that the church is a household, right? It's called the household of God. It's called the bride of Christ. It's called the body of Christ. And each of these really connotes a different idea. It gives us a different flavor, a little bit of a different perspective, but they're all related, and they're all centered on the relationship we have with Jesus. But the first thing that comes to mind with the concept of the body of Christ, and the point that we're going to see made so many times tonight in the scriptures, as we look at different parts of 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4, is that there is this singular plurality, and what is that? It's not the artwork that that French artist uh, made. It's that there is one body, many members, right? And from God's perspective of the church, there is one church. You know, we have one group of people here tonight. This would all be called the church. Uh, and that is certainly, locally speaking, the church. It's made up of many members, all of you who are here. 
everybody who's going to be here on Sunday morning at both services, everybody who's considered, who considers themselves part of this church family. That is the church, and you all are members individually. But then there's the church global, the, the church universal, which is comprised of every genuine believer everywhere around the world who has ever lived uh, at any given time. That is also just one church, but God deals with his people at a local level, an individual level. He calls us into a body of believers at a local level, and he has a very uh, unique and clear purpose for each of us being part of this church right here, this body of Christ. And it is a living organism. This is another aspect of the body of Christ. And all of this is going to uh, be important to understand where we land tonight by the time we're done. It is a living organism that cares for itself. And that is very much the design that God has, just like the human body. Right? The body cares for itself. And if I asked you guys, uh, I'd, I'm pretty sure you'd all answer the question the same if I said to you, hey, did you, you, know, did you brush your teeth this morning? Did you, uh, did you use soap when you showered today? Did you look in the mirror to check and make sure everything's okay? I mean, I, I, I have to spend a lot of time in front of the mirror because of my hair. And... Um, you know, there's a lot of care that goes into that hairstyle I have. But this is the design of the body of Christ. As we think of the body of Christ, we all care for one another. And we're going to see this kind of unpacked for us as we go on. But also, the church, or I should say the body of Christ, is an expression of Christ to the world. We are essentially the hands and feet of Christ to those around us, both within the church itself and, and beyond these walls. Christ being the head, which is one of the things that Paul um, focuses a lot on in the book of Colossians. He commands the church, and in the same way that the head commands our body, uh, the head says, move this way, move that way, the, the body responds and that's the relationship between the body and the head, or the church and Jesus. So we become his expression to the world. Essentially, we are his, we are his hands and his feet, uh, his voice to the world. We are the warmth of human touch to a deeply hurting world. And I just mentioned this, but Christ as the head, he commands the body. And then if you consider the body as one with many parts, what happens with a body? Well, right now I've got my hands in my pockets. I'm putting one foot in front of the other. And uh, my mouth is moving. I'm not sure if you're listening to what it's saying, but it's moving. It's saying something. right? And all of these things are happening together. Uh, each part is doing its share leading to, uh, you know, a certain, or for a certain purpose, leading to a certain outcome. And what this really points to, and when the point that God makes to us in calling the church the body of Christ is that it points to the unity of the body, first and foremost. There's a cohesiveness of all of the members being together as one, understanding its part, its place in the body, uh, 
understanding that one is not greater or more important than the other, but that it has simply a different role, and it underscores the diversity of the body, that there is a lot of variety in the body, in the same way that there's variety in the human body, the church, the body of Christ, has a lot of variety. And if we look around this room, you know, we can see that. I was talking with Dave, our uh, genius tech, our guru tech, earlier today, and the guy is a wealth of knowledge. Uh, if you talk to him, his gifting is, is, is very different than my gifting. <clears throat> you know, he'll, I'll ask him what's happening because why isn't the, you know, projector working, and he'll give me an explanation explanation that I need to get a dictionary and go, hold on a second, what was that word again? And, uh, but it's for him, it's just like, you know, breathing air. It's so easy for him. But his giftings come out, and, you know, if it weren't for Dave, we wouldn't be able to do what we're doing tonight. If it weren't for the many different people who fulfill their role, the various uh, giftings that have been given to them in the church, the church wouldn't be able to do what it does. And so there's a lot of variety, diversity in the body, but that comes together in unity in a beautiful way where working together, Christ is glorified, the body of Christ is edified, and it's not because of one member only, but because of all members collectively. So let's look at members of Christ's body first. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 12 and get our bearings on this illustration that God gives us. We'll look at 1 Corinthians 12. We'll just read verses 12 to 19 to get started. My Bible literally is in pieces. This chunk is, uh, this is 2 Corinthians through James. I've got, oh, here's 1 Corinthians. All right. This Bible has a lot of special meaning to me. Pastor Chris gave me this Bible many years ago, I think as we were getting ready to leave, leave for Italy to, be, to do church planning back in 2001. I never knew I'd be coming here and joining the team and using that very Bible to teach here. But God knew. All right. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12 to 19. This is where Paul talks about unity and diversity in one body. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. Highlighting again for us this oneness. Verse 14, for in fact the body is not one member but many. And if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, am I, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set 
the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? So I love this. You are part of Christ's body. I want you to think about that. It's a radical concept. It's a privileged position. It's a privileged place or purpose that we have. And no part, what Paul is saying here, no part is more or less important. They're simply serving or fulfilling a different purpose, different roles, different callings. See, all are part of the same body, but not all have the same function. I talked about, you know, uh, Dave earlier, and I think, uh, I think a lot, when I think of the diversity in the church and, and the importance of the grace that God gives to each member to fulfill a specific purpose, if we try to fulfill those roles without the grace or calling, or as we just read, if God didn't put specifically as he pleases that person in that role, and we kind of just do it ourselves, we're going to be in trouble. Pastor Mike and Pastor Colin were talking to me before we moved out to Jersey about the youth ministry and um, do I feel called to junior high because we didn't have a junior high pastor at the moment. And I said, you know, that is, the, that is one of the few ministries I know for sure God hasn't called me to. I love junior hires. I just know that God hasn't given me the grace for that ministry. And one of the reasons is because I would bore them to death. I'm just not, I, I don't have a lot of creativity for activities for you know, kids that um, are in, in need of that kind of you know, engagement. And um, I don't have the energy level I used to have. And I look at what you know, Pastor Dan and Heather do, and I think, thank you, God, for those members of your body that you have placed where you please and given them that specific function. Because look at what God is doing in that ministry. I'm so thankful for that. But then it also has a functional interdependency. In other words, uh, if any part tries to function apart from the other, there's going to be a problem, right? If, if when we were driving here tonight, your foot decided independently to step on the gas pedal, but your hands weren't working together with the steering wheel, and your eyes weren't on the road, and the car just began to accelerate, but you're looking out the left window and your hands aren't on the wheel, if all those things aren't working together, what happens? We have a problem. And so there's an interdependency of function that is communicated through this example that the scriptures give us. So let's read verses 20 to 27, where Paul will now unpack that a bit more for us. He says, But now indeed there are many members, yet one body, and the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, these, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. 
or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. See, the reality is you personally need others. And I, I, I think a lot of times what happens is we approach church, and I'm not saying necessarily you, know, you have done this. You probably have because you're human like me, and I have found myself in the past in my early years of my relationship with Christ approaching things like this. But many, if not all of us, have gone through that that time where we, we approach church as something that we go to, and we're going to receive something. And that's good. We, we absolutely should come to church expecting to receive something because a lot of times you know, our experience at church has a lot to do with our expectations. If we come with the, expect, the expectation to be entertained, then you might leave disappointed because we're not here to entertain. We're here to nurture. We're here to equip. But if you come expecting to hear from God, if you come expecting to connect with people and to worship Jesus, then that will be your experience. You will connect with people. You will hear from God. And you will uh, worship God with your heart in sincerity. But what often happens is that perspective, I said, where church is something that Someone goes to, and it, the, it's myopic in the sense that we, look, we are looking only at what we can get from it. And we seldom ask the question, Lord, what part do you have for me? You have said that I am part of the body. You have made me part of the body, and you've called me to this local body of Christ. What is my part? What part do I fill? Am I a toe? Am I a hand? Am I an eye? Am I an ear? Right? And the reality is, is that you need others and others need you. And what happens when we, dis- when we disengage ourselves from that part of the body of Christ, from the church life, coming where we look to connect and to pour out, to invest, we are shortchanging ourselves we're missing out what God has designed us for. We're shortchanging, we're short-circuiting in many ways our growth in Christ because growth happens from our engagement with the body. But you're also going to shortchange others because there's something unique that you personally bring to the table that no one else can. There are people that you will minister to in ways that I cannot minister to. And what we're going to see as we move forward and get closer to wrapping things up tonight is that the real work of the ministry actually happens by all of you. The pastor's role is not to do all of the ministry. The pastor's role is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And so God has something very unique for you. And it's every pastor's heart and desire, but more importantly, God's desire, the Holy Spirit's desire in your life, that you would discover that, what that gift is, what that role is, that you would cultivate it, which is what leadership in the church is here to help with, and that you would fulfill it. 
and that you would be blessed in the process and others would be blessed as a result. You see, we ultimately, we help each other in the same way that, you know, the hand helps the foot. What do I mean by that? Well, when's the last time you stubbed your toe? Which, you know, for me, people have been making fun of me lately because I take my shoes off a lot. I have a reason for that, but, um, you know, without shoes on, it's a lot easier and a lot more painful to stub your toe, right? Right, Sean? When's the last time you stubbed your toe? Uh, two nights ago. How did that feel? Not so good here in work boots. Yeah, oh, you were in work boots? No, I hit a pair of work boots. Oh, you hit a pair of work boots. That's supposed to be, they're supposed to be on your feet to protect your feet. So I won't ask you what you said in that moment. <laughs> Don't say it. Shucks, okay. You know, think about the reaction of the body to one of our members of our body, our fingers, our toes, being injured, right? The voice expresses pain. Ow! The neck bends to look down and see what happened. What was that stupid thing I just banged into or Lego I stepped on? The torso bends, you know, the arms reach forward to grab the foot and the leg hops so you can balance on one leg while you, you know, while you nurture the, the injured toe, rubbing it with your hand. And if it's really bad, the entire body will work, walk over to get some ice out of the freezer. And, you know, depending on how bad the injury is, you may have to pick up the phone, right? And so this is the idea of that, that functional interdependency. Guys, we have need of one another. And I just spoke to a, a fellow who called the church, um, I think it was yesterday or two days ago, and he was telling me that he's a believer and he was asking for a unique request. He's not part of a church anywhere. He hasn't been to church in ages. Um, I asked him, I said, are you, are you a genuine believer in Jesus Christ? Has God really entered into your life? And he immediately began to answer that question with um, what he does how he reads his Bible, you know, a few times a week. He prays twice a day. And it began to sound to me like he, you know, he wasn't really resting in the work of God for him, but he kind of had his identity in what he did for God. And so we, we, we went through the gospel together. Uh, he insisted that he's a, a genuine believer, and he's having this issue in his life. And I said, well, you know, the number one thing you're lacking is you're disconnected from the body. Uh, if I cut off my hand, my hand no longer can function as a hand, right? It's disconnected. It, it loses its ability to be effective. That's kind of what happens when we begin to disconnect ourselves. Or if we limit what that connectivity looks like. If our only connection to one another is greeting one another, which we do very well, we're a loving church here, but if the only connectivity is that when we're here at a service, then we're missing the church life outside of these walls in the way that God has designed us to be connected to one another in fellowship. And fellowship is simply kind of the, the breeding ground for a lot of really sweet ministry to take place where we encourage one another. We have a word of wisdom for one another, whatever it might be, however God desires to use you in that moment. Being connected provides the opportunity for that. 
Now, I, I had looked online. You like this little ear man? You know, this is what Paul's talking about. What if the whole body were an ear? It would look pretty funny for one thing, but it wouldn't be able to do very much either. Pretty limited in what it can do. There would be no seeing. There would be no uh, tasting, no smelling, right? All those other things. And so the point is that God is already answering for you and for me the objection, if there is an objection, where you would say, well, I'm just a toe, therefore I'm not really part of the body. And by body, what the Bible is talking about is the functional work that God does through his members. If you're sitting here thinking, well, I really, what do I have to bring to the table? What, you know, I don't have anything I can do. Untrue. And we're going to see more and more as we go through. We're going to get in Ephesians in just a moment. Paul's going to make it very clear that you have something to offer because God has given it to you. He's instilled that in you by his grace. And no matter where you are in your life with Christ, you've got something to offer to the body of Christ because you are part of it. And we want you to discover what that is and begin to live it out and watch God work in incredible ways. What would that look like? What does your involvement look like? We have no idea. And it doesn't have to be, and many times it's not, a visible ministry where it's something where you come up here and you play the keyboards like Walt or you sing. So much takes place in the body of Christ that is an invisible ministry. And that's kind of what Paul refers to when he says, hey, you know, some of the parts are, are more modest, but on those we bestow more honor because of the faithfulness that takes place even in that uh, humble service behind the scenes that sometimes only God sees. But there is something for you, and you will be a blessing to others, and others will be, and you will be blessed because of that when you begin to fulfill that. So rest assured, God does have something for you. All right, now, let's jump over to Ephesians chapter 4. We'll look a bit more at the, um, the function of Christ's body. And what we're going to look at simply is grace in this section. It's grace and the measure of Christ's gift. Verse 7 of chapter 4, he says, But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, this is just following a section where Paul talks a lot about the oneness of the body. Again, you know, he'll talk about, he talks about uh, we all have, uh, there's one body, one spirit. We've all been called in one hope of our calling, the gospel. There's one Lord, there's one faith or one gospel. One baptism and one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. But then he says this, this contrast now, right? There's all of this oneness, but then he says, but to each of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So there's something different given to you 
then to me, it's still the same grace, but it's unique for a specific purpose, right? So grace for all, but unique to each. And Paul's playing with, with the words here. Now, what is this grace? Well, this isn't the same, this isn't the grace for salvation. It's still God's unmerited favor because, really, uh, none of us deserve to be called into the body of Christ. None of us deserve to be called into serving or into ministry. But this is God's unmerited favor for serving, right? Not just a natural talent that you've dedicated to God, but something unique. You know, I look back at my own life, and when God called me into the ministry, he did it with a great passion and desire to serve. I had no idea where to serve. I remember being at Old Bridge and, and going and visiting uh, the pastors there and just saying, look, I, I want to serve God. I don't know where to start. But because I was in the music business, I played guitar, I could sing, Many thought, oh, you're a worship leader, right? But what God ended up doing was he ended up shelving that, that instrument and calling me into a ministry of teaching the word. And the irony of that is that in my professional music career, I could only perform if I was under the influence of alcohol or some other drug because I couldn't handle being in front of people. So tonight before I got up here, I, t I took a few swigs. I'm just kidding. Um, it's so clearly God because <laughs> I'm only joking, guys. It's clearly God because he called me into something that I am not strong in, but he's given me grace. He's given me grace for that. And so... In many, time, in many ways, you know, it, it might not be what you expect it to be. It's certainly not a talent that I had. It's something God gave to me. He developed it. He gave me the chance to use it through opportunity. And, 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 you know, and here we are tonight. But then there's the measure. And this is what I was pointing to before, right? Sort of varying degrees. You know, God decides what that measure is going to be. The beautiful thing about this, what I think is liberating for you and me, is it's twofold. One, we have no reason ever to be jealous of what another person does in ministry. Because if that person is operating in the gift that God has given him or her, well then that was God's measure for that person. So there's no reason to be jealous because a measure has been given to you and the most important thing is faithfulness with that measure. It's not exactly what you're doing that matters, it's faithfulness in what you're doing. The other side to that is that none of us have any place to boast. Not only should we not complain, but we should never boast. Because whatever we do has been given to us as a gift and listen, if we want to be boastful, it's only in the twinkling of an eye that God could remove that grace and we fall flat on our face. That rhymes. I didn't plan it that way, but it's pretty cool. He removes the grace and we fall on our face. You can, you can quote that. 
So there's varying degrees, right? We're, we're all members of the same body, but we're not all the same member. We don't all have the same measure of grace. It's not all for the same purpose. And then the, this grace is specifically for ministry, and that's what we're going to jump over to in verse 12 now. So jump down in chapter 4. We're going to skip over Paul's ex explanation of how Christ has overcome and in his victory through the cross is now able to pour out to the church the plunder of that victory, grace for ministry. Look at what he says in verse 12. And this is referring back now to the roles of, of what we might call the more visible gifts in the church, the, the, the pastors, the prophets, the teachers, evangelists, etc., he says, this is for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And we'll, we'll look at that more deeply in just a minute. So what is that purpose? Well, we just read it. Number one, it's for the equipping of the saints. What does that mean? Well, this word equipping is, even in English, it, it, it's like the word equipment, right? Equipment is a tool or a device. It's something that is created for and needed for accomplishing a specific goal. It's the, it's the tools to get the job done. And that's the idea of equipping the saints, right? Equipping the saints, building up believers, it's giving them the tools. It's giving you and giving me the tools we need to do the job. Well, what job? Well, that's what God has determined. But because it's for equipping, we can know that, first of all, there's some involvement that we have in church, in the body of Christ. So all the gifts, it tells us, are for the purpose of building up the church. It's not for glorifying ourselves. And secondly, it tells us that the focus of leadership is to be on the building up of the church. That's what the majority of my time, Pastor Mike's time, Colin, Pastor Dan, Pastor Chris, right? All of our focus is on, is on building up the church. And in the past year, we've spent a great deal of, of focus on looking at where, where are we lacking in this and where do we need to get better? How do we structure this more effectively, more efficiently? Because there's a lot of work to be done in the church, right? A lot of work to be done in ministry and many good things we could do, but there is one focus we must have. We could all come and vacuum, we could all clean the toilets, and we have no problem doing any of that, I guarantee you that. Just today, Colin and Mike were cleaning up the foyer while I was finishing up these slides because Colin and Daniel and some others were painting. As you saw, did a great job in the foyer, right? We're getting a re giving a refresh to our building. So none of us have any, any problem doing those things. But in many senses, we, we, we have to come back to what we know and we, we believe God has called us to. What is our focus? Our focus is to invest in you, individually and collectively. Collectively, that happens at every service, just like we're doing tonight. Individually, that happens in our fellowship. It happens in our counseling. It happens in our mentorship, one-on-one, -on -one, maybe one-on-three, whatever it might be. But the focus is on building up the church. 
strengthening the body, strengthening the hands and the feet. What is the purpose of that? Well, he says it's for the work of ministry. Isn't that amazing? First of all, it's so cool. Like, you know, it took me a long time to stop pinching myself that God had called me into ministry. It took me a long time to actually believe that God saved me because I knew what I used to be. And I just thought, well, God could never forgive me, let alone use me. I mean, come on, many of you are probably thinking, yeah, I can't believe you would use you either, Mark. That was kind of the reaction of my old friends on social media when they discovered I was a pastor. They couldn't believe it because I was very, very far from anything like a pastor years ago. But that is the grace of God, isn't it? He calls us. He gives us his grace. By his grace, we are saved. By his grace, he equips us and calls us into ministry. And we get to enjoy a, a, a journey, an adventure of unpredictability, never a dull moment, as Pastor Mike said tonight with the praying mantis on the podium here. Never a dull moment. We get to have the most abundant life we could have ever imagined, doing things we had no idea God designed us for. It's amazing. But it is for the work of ministry. So what we do here, brothers and sisters, is not to make you feel good on a Sunday or a Wednesday, but it is to enrich your life. It's to give you the tools for the job. It's to, it's to help form you into more Christ-likeness which is something we all want. It's something we all need. It's what the world needs. It's what the world wants, even though the world doesn't know it wants that. It's what the world is seeking, but it's looking in the wrong place. We are being formed into more and more Christ-likeness. And this work of ministry here, I threw the word up there for you. That's a Greek word, diakonia. And it's where we get the word. It's, it's from the word diakonos, which is deacon. In Greek, and so the idea is we become servants. It's, it's the word general service, right? So little did you know we're training all of you guys to be servants. You're going to serve tables, which is funny because I'm joking about that because we don't know how God's going to use you, but literally the word is, was often used for that kind of a role, and yet it's the role that in the scriptures God gives praise to. He says, this is glorious. When we serve and get our hands dirty, ministering to others, he says, that is glorious. That is when we are most like Jesus, when we are loving and serving others. And so church and the activity here is equipping you. It's giving you the tools needed for the job that God has prepared for you. So we are now beginning to shift. You see, the equipping is an inward focus. You're coming and you're receiving, but you're receiving for a reason, which is to be able to do the work of ministry. So we're going to have you all sign a contract tonight before you leave, committing for life to serve here at Cornerstone. I'm only kidding. What is this for? Paul says, for the edifying of the body. See, as we are all equipped collectively and individually and begin to do the work of ministry 
collectively and individually, he says that each one of us, collectively and individually, end up benefiting from what one another does. It's the building up of the church. Pretty amazing how God has designed it. Let's look more at the goal of equipping. Verse 13. Until we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Wow, that's pretty amazing. So notice what he says here. There's three things I want to look at. Unity. He says maturity. And then he says Christ-likeness, right? The fullness of the stature or the measure of Christ. So first, this unity. He says that as we understand our unity and we begin to serve together, serving one another, the result is actually that it nurtures more unity, right? Which is simply being in harmony with one another, right? Unity among believers, brothers and sisters, is dear to God's heart. This is what Jesus prayed for in John 17. And it's created by God, right? It's the unity of the Spirit, but it's nurtured in our endeavoring to keep that unity. And as we serve one another, that unity strengthens, right? This is a choice that we have. And it's such an important part of our witness to the world that wouldn't you know it, it's, it's, it's very much the center of the devil's attention to divide and conquer. And if he can't damage the church from the outside, he does, you know, he does a good job sometimes from the inside, looking for ways and opportunities. And I certainly never want to be the one that gives him that chance. So maturity. This, this speaks of maturity uh, you know, in contrast to a child Right, where we meet this higher standard of adulthood. I remember talking to Bible college students in Murrieta before coming out here, and, and they would say things like, you know what, adulting really is no fun. <laughs> I don't like having to grow up. I don't like being an adult. I have to pay bills, and I have to you know, worry about getting my own food. Yeah, well, that's actually healthy. It's healthy to grow up, right? It's healthy to become an adult. And so this is, of course, speaking of it spiritually, where we learn to act like adults, but that's Paul, Paul's point here, that we mature spiritually, and, and our conversations and our conduct begin to look a little bit differently than they did when we were children in Christ. And then Christ-likeness. This is something that becomes noticeable to other people. Have you ever been around a person that you just want to be around them because you might not even be able to articulate why, but it's because they're like Jesus. And, and you know, the stature of Jesus here, that's a, that's a tall order, isn't it? Literally, it means the age of strength. It's the time which even society recognizes to be most fruitful and most productive for life. We become like Christ. We come into this age of, of strength. And we're almost done here, so stay with me. Now, here's the result of maturity. Let's read verses 14 to 16, and this is where we'll end. 
Paul gives us the why. He says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love. We may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. Verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. All right, so first, speaking truth in love, right? Literally, this word, we don't have it in English, but it's a word, it's a verb, and if, it would be like saying to truth, or hey, I'm truthing, I'm truthing right now. I'm speaking the truth in love. And that this leads to uh, spiritual maturity, right? And as we mature, it continues that process. It's sort of reciprocal. And he says, listen, we're not just exhorted to speak truth, but we're exhorted to do it in love. And I think that that's interesting. It's essential. Why? Well, because many people have truth, but, but they lack love, and therefore they're ineffective in their truthing. Other people may be really good at loving, but they're weak in truth, and therefore their love is not effective. But together, truth and love, that changes everything. You see, fruitfulness reaches its, its maximum when truth and love are combined faithfully. We cannot be truthful without being loving also. And we, honestly, we cannot be loving without being truthful. See, love is the key for speaking truth because in God's economy, they're inseparable. Love is the motive why we speak truth. Now, you may have been in those situations where you say, you know, that brother's off, but I'm just going to love him. I'm not going to say anything. Well, maybe you need to say something. That might be the loving thing to do. Now, you need to pray about that. It doesn't mean say everything that comes to your mind. But sometimes the loving thing to do is to speak the truth and correct that brother, correct that sister in love for the soul, right? Because you care about that person. That's why you do it. We tell our kids often, listen, the easiest thing to do would be to let you do whatever you want to do. But love is a tall commitment, isn't it? It requires a lot of diligence. But love is also the manner in which we are to speak the truth. In other words, it's not just the motive, but it's also the manner. And that manner, friends, will become evident to the listener very quickly. You know, I'm sure you've all had somebody say something to you. It was true, but it wasn't said in love. And because of that, you couldn't swallow it. Love makes it palatable. That's the key ingredient my grandmother used to always say. My grandmother from Benevento, Italy, she'd say, you know, cocoa with love and no come good. Is that a good, good imitation? Is that good, Vincenzo? You know, cocoa with love. I sound like Conchetta now. Connie. But it's true. You see, you can't cook without it. My mother, I could almost always know when my mother was angry at my father because the food would come out weird and she'd say, I shouldn't cook when I'm angry at your father. Well, what does truth mean? You know, what does it mean to speak the truth? Well, sometimes it might be a correction, but it also might 
simply mean you're, you're, you're speaking the truth of doctrine. And we all need that. And the funny thing is, you're not the only one edified if I speak the truth to you in love. I'm edified. I'm built up because as I speak, I am also being reminded myself. And sometimes when I'm counseling, I want to end the session because I'm so convicted of what I just said. Dan, have you ever done that? Yeah. I, I, I mean, it's amazing how God works. So we build up one another and we ourselves are built up. And what is the outcome? Well, he says that we all would grow up in all things. In other words, we increase in all respects. We become a well-rounded believer. What does that mean? Well, it means that the areas of weakness have been shored up. They've been strengthened. We're no longer imbalanced, strong in this area, weak in this area, but as we speak the truth in love together, which always should be part of our fellowship in our time of having fun together, make it purposeful. He says that when that happens, the result is we increase in all areas. We become well-rounded. And why is that so important? Well, if you don't become well-rounded, you may look like Mr. Incredible, who has this incredible upper body and little itty bitty ankles. He actually does look kind of cool. Now, I know you'll never forget that point because of that. That was strategic. He says, when this happens, he says the body edifies itself in love. It's self-care. Remember we talked about that earlier? And you are part of that self-care. In the same way that you need me here, whether you like it or not, I need you, whether I like it or not. And there's something that we each bring to the table. And so there's two things that Paul emphasizes here. Both regard the whole body of Christ. And in many ways, I think of the body of Christ and how God has designed it like an ant colony, which right now we have a lot of them in our back patio. They're making me crazy. We have this pest, uh, pest control company that comes out, and all, what happens is he'll spray, and what they'll do is they'll abandon that colony hole, and they'll move into another area, and they start popping up their little holes and their, you know, their ant hills somewhere else, because he, he said they, they, they think the poison is in the hill. So they all work together to go over here and build a new home, right? And they're always doing this over and over again. I'm like, I'm, they're never going to go away. I'm never going to get rid of them. But I love how they work together for the benefit of all. It's an amazing example, annoying to me, but amazing in how they do it. And this is God's intention for us, that the whole body is involved in doing its share of the ministry, and the whole body, as a result, you and me together, we grow together in the truest sense. So, where does that leave us? Well, here's what we covered, and I'll leave you with one final thought. We looked at the concept of the body, we looked at members of Christ's body. We looked at the function of Christ's body, of which 
you are a part. We looked at the purpose of Christ's gift, right? That grace according to the measure of his gift to each of us here, you and me. We looked at the goal of equipping, which is for the work of the ministry. And then we looked at the result of maturity, which comes from the work of the ministry. Now, all of these truths that we're looking at right here, you and I are plugged in into completely. We are part of the body of Christ. We are members. We are part of the function of Christ's body. We're, there's a purpose given to you and to me in the measure of his gift. There's a specific goal of equipping and the maturing happens together, but as we mature, it nurtures more maturity. It's reciprocal, which is by design. So, what do we do about it? Well, uh, if you're not already understanding where God has gifted you, then I'd say pray. Start with that. Pray and ask God to show you, God, what is my part in the body of Christ? You've, you've said clearly in your word, I'm part of your body. You've given me grace according to a specific measure for a specific purpose. How do you want to use me? And listen, don't think that because you're six months young in the Lord or one year young in the Lord that God doesn't have something for you. Because what you have is a relationship with Jesus. And with that comes things that you discover, even if it's nothing more at, at this time than testimony and you know, sharing with one another the victories and the failures, but God's faithfulness through it all in your life. Do you know how much that ministers to somebody? When I share my failures, and there are many, it encourages others because they say, wow, you mean you failed like that and, and God didn't throw you away? I didn't think there was hope for me. So don't hold back from what God may want to do with you. So I'm going to call up Walt to uh, close us out in worship. But listen, if you're visiting tonight and all of this sounds really foreign to you, it may be because you haven't even acknowledged Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior. And, and therefore, the whole idea of him being your head and, and you being part of his body is foreign. That may be why. But you know, you can become part of Christ's body by acknowledging the work that he did for you and for me. The very word, the name Christ means the anointed one. It means the Messiah. Savior, what did he come to save us for or from? He came to save us from our sin. He came to save us for himself and for a purpose. But you would need to first acknowledge that you're a sinner, that your sin has separated you from, from God, that you need to be forgiven for that sin, and that forgiveness is found only in Jesus. By his bloodshed, your sins have been paid for. And you receive that gift from him, first that, that very first gift of salvation, 
which is by his grace, you receive it through faith, which means you simply believe, you simply trust that what he has said in the gospel is true. You trust that he died for you. You trust that he rose again from the dead. And you trust that you're forgiven and you enter into a living, breathing relationship with the God who created you. And that is how and that is when you become a living, breathing member of the body of Christ. And praise God, this could become your local body, your local home of which you will be part. So if the Lord has spoken to you through that, you can simply pray that as we're worshiping. God, I believe that I'm a sinner. I believe that you gave your son Jesus to die for me and for my sin. I believe he died, he rose again, and that through his bloodshed, I can be forgiven. So, so God, forgive me, cleanse me of my sin. Come into my life, I want to surrender to you. And I ask that you would begin to make me into that person you want me to be. Make me more like the Christ we talked about tonight. More Christ-likeness in my life.